Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Swing it a line drive left field. Ben and Teddy coming on. Dives. And did he make the catch? He did. He got it. Here we go. It's time to party. Right here. 3-2. High drive. He crushed it. It's a grand slam. Swing it a miss. Frankly, it's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets podcast. Can you believe it? Here's your host, Terry Cushman. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 155th edition of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast, as always, can be found on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, and of course, Apple Podcasts. The link to our Apple Podcast feed is right above your video window. Click that, subscribe. All of our previous shows are available. The Red Sox just wrapped up a four-game set against the New York Yankees, taking three out of the four games. They are nine back of the division lead right now and only one game out of the second AL wild card. I am Terry Cushman and I'm joined as always by Jeremy Schilling and Matt Clark. How are you guys? Yeah, man, definitely better than expected. Uh, Well, I was happier yesterday. Uh, (laughs) Tonight I'm Thinking about after the podcast, maybe pouring a little bleach in my eyes to uh, wash away what I the, the filthiness that I saw in this ugly game from the Red Sox tonight. But other than that, I'm good. Yeah. Hey Terry. Hey Terry. You know, you notice how Matt chirps pretty fucking hard when we're winning and everything's rosy, and then things go, <laughs> things go back to normal, and all of a sudden I don't hear a fucking tweet from him all night. Uh, yeah, and I'm the opposite. You know, I uh, <laughs> I, I like to. I chirp when we when we suck, but you know we are coming off of the loss tonight. Maybe we'd be thumping our chests if we lost the first game and then won the next three. But nonetheless, you take three out of four. We we had only had one win against them all season, so so you know not not too bad. And uh, we got Tampa next, who we can try to do more damage uh, against, and then. Four more next weekend. Although I think one of them is a doubleheader, but um, but we can still chip away for now. Uh, so anyway, uh, we're gonna get into uh, heroes and zeros. We'll uh, discuss what we think maybe the next Red Sox trade will be. Some insiders seem to think there's one more move imminent, so we'll go over that and uh, talk about some other trades that took place so jeremy go ahead uh into heroes who do you got so i mean there's any number of options in this series obviously um bets leon (laughs) just kidding 
Devers, Bogarts, Martinez, Benintendi. I mean, you know, Moreland hit a ball hard tonight. Holt, you know, hits the ball hard all the time. But I, I felt like the guy who set the tone was Porcello in a situation where he could have folded um, but didn't and allowed the offense to get going. Um, not a great start by, you know, everyday metrics. He had a he had a quality start, six innings, six hits, three runs, all earned a, a base on balls, five walks, and gave up the home run. His ERA is deplorable. He should be ashamed of himself. He's cost himself a ton of money, probably tens of millions of dollars. But for this series, he did what he had to do, which was he battled out of a jam when the game was still in doubt and then pitched deep enough into the game to allow um, Hernandez Brewer and Evaldi to come in and throw effortless innings to, to, to get into what was a successful series. So... Wasn't the best start. I wouldn't say he's back, but for purposes of what we needed in this series, I thought Porcello played an important role setting up what was a successful series. So Rick Porcello, not great, but for setting the tone for what was a great series, he's my hero. Yeah, was it the second or third inning when he had the bases loaded and get out of the jam? It was third. third inning, yeah. And brutal, you know, absolutely brutal, right? And it it seems like he's walked the tightrope in a lot of, you know, a lot of starts this year, and kind of just fallen off it at at one point, and had a three or four run inning, and and this time through, he he got all the way across, kept us in the game, you know, only gave up the three earned runs, so. I'm not comfortable like Jeremy saying he's back, but it was a big start in a big series, and and he got the win. I, all I got to say is I kind of nailed that one. I, I may have called that. <laughs> I was off by, off by one earned run on that, but I definitely said you keep him in the game, six innings pitch, get the win. Uh, I think I predicted two earned runs, but – I'm gonna I'm gonna tally that to a, a really crappy call by the ump um, on a timeout to Lemayhew uh, that was way late. Otherwise, he would have struck out instead of walked, and uh, it would have been two earned runs. So, I guess when uh, prognosticating, I, I didn't see that one. So, uh, fault me for that. But no, nah, I felt like he had one in him. Like I said, he pitches shitty for six starts and then has a good one. So. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait for seven starts uh, before we see this again, but that's okay. Hey, we'll take it against the Yankees. Well, he does tend to pitch better at home, so, uh, you know, we got three more here, and he will pitch against Tampa before we head to New York. So, um, you know, so maybe he can kind of carry it into the next series. Uh, Matt, who do you have? Uh, I'm going to go with Andrew Benintendi. Uh, he went 10 for 18, uh, 555 average, eight runs scored, two home runs, albeit one of them was kind of a very cheap home run, but we'll take it. Uh, six RBIs. Uh, since he switched his batting stance back to the old college stance, uh, shortened his stride and leg kick, uh, he kind of looks like the Benintendi of old. I mean, guys mashing the ball. Um, the Red Sox can get him and, and J.D. Martinez and Betts playing up to the caliber that they played last year. I mean, obviously, this offense, if, if Devers and 
Bogarts continue on the, the pace they've been playing at, and Holt and Chavis and all these guys, you know, Vasquez having career years. You add those three in there, getting back to their normal selves, which it definitely looked like this series, and this offense is is as dangerous as anybody out there. So, um, you know, it's good to see that. I've been waiting for it all year. I'm a huge Benintendi guy. So to see him really tear it up is is a good sign, and this guy could be a catalyst. I mean, in the beginning of the year, he was your leadoff man. Um, they, they, had, they held him in that high regard. So uh, to see him all of a sudden taking off, uh, that's a good sign. Uh, I, I think it'll it'll carry over into uh, hopefully the rest of the year and, and really be a positive for the Sox going forward. Jeremy? I mean, I'm a huge Benintendi guy, um, and I love what he can bring when he's going right, and it's nice to see him hit the ball out of the ballpark. You know, it's it's one of those funny things with baseball that um, when you're really scuffling, what gets you out of the scuffle is usually not, a, you know, a laser into the alley. It's some duck fart to right center that that drops in and and all of a sudden the stress is relieved and you're free and clear for that game so you end up going you know three for four with you know two balls in the gap later that's the way it always was for me when i played and the home run the way it happened and everything else and him finally hitting one regardless of the length and all the other horse shit that goes into the, the the dialogue about the that particular swing it, it, to me, it frees a player up to say, okay, I've already accomplished something. I've, I've contributed. And then it's in baseball players' minds, they, they relax and they start hitting. So he, he, you know, then he's hitting ball, you know, tonight he had another base hit opposite way. Um, and he's capable of hitting a base hit to the left field line, to the right field line and a home run anywhere out of the ballpark, which is really impressive for a guy his size. But um, to the latter point, he is hugely important, and I'd love to stick him back in the two-hole and let him roll. And if he can get going, that's where he's going to end up. So um, also creates some flexibility with the ability to play center field if Jackie goes into one of his deep slumps. So if we can get Benintendi back to what he's capable of being, um, and I think that's one of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast is, uh, you know, what it's going to take to get where we want to go. Ben intendi has got to be one of the guys that gets himself going. So totally agree. Big, big series. Nice to see these series against the Yankees, too. It's always easy to go five for ten against the Orioles, the Royals, you know, the hacks of the league. But to do it against uh, this team against, uh, you know, the pitching's not great. And I think we're going to talk about that, too. But um Against the Yankees in a big series, a series you got to win multiple games. You got to win the series. He he was a huge factor. So, hundred uh, percent on on Matt's uh, hero. Yeah, it seems like he's squaring the ball up a little bit better now. He he was getting underneath it too much and and flying out quite a bit. And you know he didn't look too comfortable in the batter's box at times. But he really has picked it up the last few series. And I think the fact that Alex Cora started Benintendi against Sabathia last night, you know, a, a lefty, uh, shows that, you know, the confidence is rising, you know, with both the manager and the player in this instance. Yeah, and he should be, he should be in every, I, I, look, he's a plug-and-play guy. He bets Devers, Bogarts, Martinez, and in my opinion, Vasquez, 
are plug and play. Don't fuck with them. Put them in a spot. Leave them there. Let them get comfortable. Let them get you know, twenty five, thirty at bats a week, whatever it is. Um, and Benintendi can hit lefties, and the guys I all mentioned, I just mentioned, all hit uh, productively, regardless of the of the arm uh, slot. So, yeah, I mean, and by the way, here's the other thing with Benintendi. Benintendi has huge implications moving forward as far as his signability with arbitration left the desire to keep him here long-term. So for him to find a, a slot that makes a lot of sense may make him feel more comfortable in signing and the Red Sox giving him a fair deal, which is what I think everyone wants. So, you know, that's another thing that maybe is for a different podcast, but it's important to this team and this program moving beyond 2019 and 2020. Going back, uh, I, to, or go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to say one thing. Uh, I know Jeremy said that if if he continues this pace, he'd put him at the the two hole. Uh, I'm not sure that I would. I think that the having that top three of Mookie, Devers, and um, Bogarts is is pretty damn good right now. I think I keep rolling with those guys as your one, two, three. Um, Martinez is four, and Benintendi is five. That's as good as any five uh, top five players in the lineup that, that, that any team has. So. If it's rolling and, and they're rolling like this, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's that's kind of my thing. And as much as he kind of gives you that speed option a little bit more than maybe Devers does at the top of the lineup, um, you know, middle of the lineup or, or uh, right around in that five hole, that's that's not a bad option either. Um, yeah, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know that I'd mess with them at this point, given how hot and how well they've been playing with the, the one through three batters. Well, that's what I was about to get at, and I personally like Benintendi in the two-hole better because he's more of a contact guy. He typically has a 360-370 on base. I, I don't know what it is uh, this year. It's probably down a little, but I just I kind of like the, the dynamic of him and Mookie getting on base, and then you'd probably have JD in the three-hole to slot in between Benny and Devers. That way you're you know, staggering the righties and lefties. I do get, though, that, you know, it might not be a popular move with some fans and maybe some hardcore stat geeks to to take Devers out of the two-hole where he's hit so well, you know, since being put there. But I think Devers is a guy who can hit no matter where he is. I, I don't think that, that dynamic screws with him the way it might, uh, you know, Mookie or Benny. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out once Ben Intendi, um, you know, increases his uh, consistency with productivity. I don't know. What, what do you think uh, about the alignment, Jeremy? You kind of alluded to it, but. You mean as far as his spot in the batting lineup? To me, uh, he's the he's the best at the two spot because of his ability to. Uh, not not that we're an old school team, uh, and not that he's bunting or anyone in this lineup is bunting, but he has the ability to hit and run because he can hit the ball on the ground any, at any spot in the infield. Uh, he doesn't swing and miss at a high rate, um, so it gives you a little bit of flexibility um, to do some things uh, with Betts now back in the leadoff spot, potentially running, with Bradley Jr. hitting ninth, potentially running. Um, and so I just like him there 
Um, and honestly, what I would do is I would slot Devers three, flip Bogarts behind Martinez, hit Bogarts fifth. And to me, that's your best lineup. To me, that, that evens out the lineup. You go right, left, left, right, right. Um, so to me, it just makes a ton of sense. Now, one thing I will say is Benintendi still has a long ways to go because he's still only OPS in 777, which is just about 20 to 25 points higher than the major league average this year. So it just goes to show you the struggle. Um, you know, for, for context, Betts is 874, which is about 130 points better. Devers is 945. I mean, he's a borderline MVP. Bogart's 975. He may be even more than a borderline MVP. If Trout takes a step back, I mean, that's an elite OPS. And Martinez is an 885. So just, you know, just to go to show you, I mean, even Holt, Moreland, and Vasquez are all 820 to 850. So he's had a down year, but to Matt's point, if he can trend in the right direction, he can be one of the things that is better than it's been and projects you into potentially a wild card spot because we're going to talk about how some of the other teams that were ahead of us in the wild card are not playing so well anymore. Matt, any more thoughts on uh, Ben Attendee? No, I, I mean, other than I guess I can see the case to, to have him be at, at number two. I guess he is more of a natural number two hitter now that, now that I think about it. And you have... Uh, more of a power guy in a Devers or, or Bogarts or a Martinez. I mean, those guys are more your prototypical three, four, five hitters. So uh, I guess I can see the case being made for that. But I, I want to see a little bit more prolonged, um, prolonged history of this before I'm ready to move him anywhere. And I, I think we will. I mean, I don't think the lineup's going to come out tomorrow against the Rays and suddenly Benintendi's back. But Ultimately, when he's, you know, right and, you know, his metrics normalize, I guess, um, you know, I, I think I'd really like to see him in, in that two hole myself. But uh, but anyway, uh, mine will be uh, my hero for the series will be Mookie Betts. And uh, I took quite a bit of flack the last few days uh, over um Mookie and you know because I've been a huge proponent of selling him and uh, it's pretty obvious that I'm not going to get my way before the July 31st deadline I think the Red Sox will go all in they will um, make at least one more move we'll get into that shortly but uh, he had a three home run game on uh, Friday I believe it was and Instantly, people started chirping me, being, being like, shame on you. Shame on you for saying we should trade Mookie when, you know, a few days earlier, everybody was kind of, you know, you know, didn't have strong feelings one way or the other. So, so uh, I did take uh, a little flack there, but uh, I'm not coming off of, uh, you know, my, uh, my desire to move him. Which hopefully at this point will be in the off season, but uh, but anyway, uh, he was uh, six for sixteen. The three home runs, one short of the record. He drove in uh, nine runs altogether and uh, scored five runs. So seven runs, excuse me. So you know, 
starting to look more like the MVP we saw last year. Anyway. I mean, look, I've said it almost every podcast for for three months. He needs to be – he doesn't need to be an MVP, but he needs to be something in that direction. He needs to be a guy you can lean on. He needs to be a run producer. He needs to be a run scorer. He needs to be an electric factory. He needs to create chaos on the baseline, and he needs to be – he's always going to play plus defense. I'm not worried about that. But he's been something less than anything close to an MVP candidate, and it's killed us. It's been one of the reasons why we've underwhelmed, along with Chris Sale and the bullpen um, and the back end of the lineup. It's a serious problem. So um, for him to come into this series again against this team, and I know their pitching sucks. Uh, by the way, if you're a Yankees fan and you're listening to this, spoiler alert, you can't win a World Series with this pitching staff. So... You know, enjoy your AL East championship because that's as far as you're going. Um, but anyways, um, Bet, Bets has to be a 925 OPS 300 uh, guy the rest of the way to give you a chance to overcome some of the shortcomings with the bullpen, some of the shortcomings, all the shortcomings with the bullpen, and then again what we got from Sale tonight. And he was in the series, and I give him a ton of credit. And he's flying around, and he seems happier, and he seems more engaged. And, and probably now that it, it's beyond the window of a, of a contract, he can be free and clear of any possibility of worrying about it. And that probably no one is talking about at this point. And he's not going to get traded now um, uh, because they are in it. So he knows he's going to be here. And I think hopefully that frees him up to be something closer than he was uh, to what he was last year. And another thing, too, his numbers in the previous series uh, so far this year against the Yankees were not good. And I've long said he's not really a big game guy. His his postseason numbers are pretty dismal. So, so it, you know, it was also nice to see him break out, you know, explosively in this series to, um, you know, be a, a big part of, of why we took three out of the four. So, uh, Matt, uh, thoughts on Mookie? I looked really good. I mean, this is what we've been waiting for all year. I mean, he, he really hasn't, he hasn't shown us the MVP caliber player too often. I mean, we've seen a couple flashes here and there and, and really he's a table setter. He's your leadoff guy. You need him to be that guy that, that gets on base and, and comes up and, you know, uh, the, the thing that made him so dangerous last year and, and, and even before that was he was the guy that you could count on for leadoff home runs. I mean, when you have a leadoff home run, that really sets the tone for that inning. So you're seeing that a little bit more now, uh, at least in this series. So hopefully that continues and, and you can really kind of light it up. Uh, they, they definitely need that. I mean, you've got, uh, I feel like we've seen too often – uh, everything's kind of fallen on the shoulders of Devers and Bogarts, you know, without ben, uh, bets getting on in front of them, it really kind of limits their production. So uh, you know, seeing him go out there and, and really tear it up, at least, you know, a lot of it came in, in one game, uh, but that game, he kind of put them on, on their back and then carried them. So, 
uh, it's good to see that, and hopefully that continues. He also leads the league, as dismal as he might have seemed, he does lead the league in runs scored at 96 on the season. Number two, Rafael Devers at 85. And a lot of uh, batters are right on the heels of Devers. Bogarts is actually one of them. He's just two under that. So if, if Bogarts and Devers have a big Tampa series, we might have the the top three players literally in the entire league right now, American and national, you know, at the top of the run scored uh, category. But, you know, as close as they are from second to, you know, 10th or so, there's 11 runs between uh, Mookie in first and Devers at second. So he's on a really torrid pace. And, uh, you know, if the power shows up, then, you know, he's just going to be that much more explosive all across the board. And I did hear a stat uh, from Matt Vaskersian, uh not long after they come on the air. In the month of July, he's hitting 378 coming into tonight's game. So continues to, you know, underscore, you know, everything we've basically said. So. Uh, getting over into zeros, I wasn't sure we were going to do this part of the segment, but uh, we did lose tonight, and there are some people that are worthy of it at this point. So, Jeremy, who is your zero for the series? Heavy side. Christopher, Christopher Sale. Get your fucking shit right. Figure it the fuck out. You're getting paid way too much money. You're too talented. You're clearly healthy. Your stuff's there. Like, I don't know what the fuck it is, but figure it out. Figure it out. Um, I'm just exhausted by his failures. He it, 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 Here's his quote. Jason uh, Mastrodonato on Twitter uh, tweeted 26 minutes ago, Chris Sale, colon, quote, I really sucked the life out of us today, period, close quote. The one thing I respect about Chris Sale is he'll say he's one of the few athletes that'll say I sucked and own it. But you can only own it so many times before now it's just an eye roll situation. Just be better, bro. Like you're too talented. You're making too much money. This is ridiculous. Kurt Schilling is for all his political and personality failures, and I'm never going to get into that about that guy. But he was such a do it be about it guy that I just always respected that he was such a stopper you, you knew that if you had just lost four in a row and it was his turn in the rotation you weren't going to lose and then the inverse was always true that if you won four in a row and it was his turn to pitch he was going to get you the fifth that's not Chris Sale and it's starting to piss me off because he's better than this he's got he in my opinion has the correct mindset has the correct personality certainly has the stuff I think he's healthy so if it's between the ears, then, you know, go sing Akuna Matata at Lion King uh, with your kids. I saw the movie. It's fantastic. Go do that. But whatever happens, you got to come back and get people out. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You had a chance to propel this team into a chance to maybe even have us talking about the East being a, a, a possibility again. And you just lay a fucking dud. 
It's exhausting. I'm just so fucking frustrated about it. And Matt, when you, you know, and you're new to the podcast and we love having you and you've been hilarious on Twitter and we love the back and forth, but this is the sort of shit that when you talk about this every third day grinds you down and makes you pessimistic because he has sucked all fucking year. And it's not just in the, in the games against the Orioles. It's in the big games. It's in the stopper moments. It's in the keep the winning streak going moments. He's failed time in and time out, and it's fucking exhausting. So it just it, it's hard to believe that this team can get where we want them to go when this motherfucker sucks in all the big moments. I really don't know how else to say about it, and I, I'm just you know I'm I'm just ex- extremely frustrated with this particular player. The walks hurt him as much as anything. Shout out Charlie Midnight for the uh, for the tweet to ask me to pick Sale. By the way. But I agree, he sucks. The two walks, you know, ended up coming in on home runs, so not good. And uh, is part of this, could, could we blame any of this on him being left in the previous game for 116 pitches? I mean, that, that could have something to do with it. it. It's historically, if he goes deeper, and, and let's be honest, he, he didn't want to come out of that game. He said, give me three more pitches, and they asked him after the game, why three? He said, yeah, because it only takes three pitches to strike somebody out. I like that ballsy attitude, but I, it could be. Uh, let me throw out a, a, a possibility. Is it possible that Sandy Leone not calling a game correctly and not providing any offense? I, I'm not really sold on it. I know last podcast I was kind of like, ah, well, maybe we leave him in there if he's pitching well. But four times that he hasn't pitched well, and then he has pitched well this year. And uh, he's had the same guy behind the plate all except for in the beginning of the year when Leon was down in the minors. So maybe it is time to switch it up and see if Vasquez can – can do something for him because he's doing okay with Erod. He's doing okay with everybody's favorite pitcher, David Price, for the most part up until recently. You know, he's been doing all right. So maybe, maybe they need to switch that up because it seems like there's some sort of disconnect. The balls aren't, I don't know if he's not framing it. I don't know if it's pitch selection because let's be honest, uh, if you watch Chris Sale, he never shakes off the pitch. The guy's just out there. Whatever his catcher throws down, that's what he's throwing, and he's on to the next pitch. So it may be some control issues, but if it's a game call, that lays squarely on Sandy Leon. And I don't know, man. It seems like he's it's just not happening this year. So I guess I'd, I'm going to throw some blame there, too, and, and – I would like to see what happens with Vasquez behind the plate. Well, here, here's the thing, okay? Because I'm, I'm, Terry knows where I stand. Matt, I think you know where I stand. I, obviously, the people that listen to us every third day know where I stand. Here, here's where it boils down to. It only matters as far as the guy throwing the ball, the way it comes out of his hand, and if it's in the strike zone, and if so, and if is it in a good location. The rest of that doesn't matter. Who's catching the ball? Who's calling it? Is it in the strike zone? And is it in a corner where, where it's going to be tough to put a good swing on it? It's major leagues. You're going to give up hits. I don't care if you're corners all night long. You're going to give up four to six hits. That's major league baseball. But 
to say that it's the catcher one way or the other to me i just i don't like it um I don't care if you decide to show up to the ballpark and you say, I'm only throwing four seamers tonight. If you're throwing four seamers like Chris Sale can throw at 96, 97, and you're hitting the four corners of the plate and staying out of the middle, you're going to be successful. I don't give a fuck about who's catching it, what other pitches you're showing. If you want to, th- if you want to throw a show me slider or a change up your nose out, out and away so it can't hurt you and just so you can show something and go back to the fastball. If your fastball is good enough as far as location and, and, and action, it doesn't matter. It's coming out of your hand. That's the thing that drives me nuts. And for whatever reason, with this player, people don't want to hold him accountable. They want to say they want to create ancillary, arbitrary, in my opinion, dialogue about the fucking catcher having a role other than just catching the fucking baseball, throwing it back, and being a presence in the lineup. Now I get it. I'm not so ignorant to say, well, the the play calling doesn't or play calling football, Jesus. The pitch calling doesn't matter because it does to some extent, but it's not the primary factor. 90% of a pitcher's success is the way it comes out of his hand, period, in my opinion, end of story. Well, you know, uh, Jeremy and I are on different sides of this, and I I think it's going to be you two against me for the most part uh, on this issue. Uh, Coming into tonight's game, you know, Vasquez, sales ERA with him, Pit, uh, catching is 668 311 with sandy that's probably up to 340 or so uh you know after giving up five runs tonight he has sucked lately in the last couple i don't know since early june really no matter who is catching him like there hasn't been a huge difference the one thing that is constant though when Vasquez is catching him is that his tempo is extremely slow and when Leon is catching him he's he's pitching to his normal pace so the the trust is, is still a lot stronger with him with Sandy Leon is the location or the results better lately not necessarily but Alex Cora made it known within the last few starts that Sandy Leon will catch him for the rest of the season. And in Christian Vasquez's last uh, start catching Chris Sale, that was a loss, you know, for Sale. And Vasquez crushed a two run homer, and we lost anyway. So it's, you know, that's probably part of why. <laughs> Cora's not coming off of it. I'm not going to come off of it. I just, he, he has to pitch to who he trusts. And if that's a flaw in the mind of Chris Sale, then, then it's a flaw. But, you know, we have to, we have to accommodate what suits him at this point. And, he, you know, is I'm not saying he wasn't bad tonight because we, we lost this game mostly in part due to Chris Sale, but he did only give up five hits. Two of them went over the fence, you know, for two run shots each. Bradley didn't help matters by botching that throw to first. Would have got us out of the inning. Instead, the ball went over to the dugout, and the Yankees essentially buried us at that point when two more runs came in. But, but Chris Sale has to pitch better, and he's... Coming up on the part of the season where he hasn't pitched good since 2015. So, 
I don't I don't know really what to say. You know, I mean, we talked about Porcello. You know, we don't trust him right now, although his last start was nice. Don't really know what to make of David Price. He dominated a team in his last start that he typically dominates, but um, hasn't looked good as of late. Kashner held up, but, you know, that was against an AL East team that he typically pitches well against, so... Um, it's going to be tough to do any damage whatsoever in October without Chris Sale pitching, you know, maybe he doesn't have to be in Cy Young form, but he can't be automatically giving up four or five runs like he has for the most part. So Mike, the the other, uh, let me just wrap it up with this. When yep, he sorry. When, when he looked good in his last start, I I said I think in in the last show, my confidence in this team rises and falls with Chris Sale's performance and and you know so, go ahead, Jeremy. One of the things that's deeply concerning about Chris Sale is not just the poor execution of his pitches; it's the balls that are getting turned around on him are absolute missiles the ball that drove him from tonight's game what was it maybin hit a ball right center off the 420 sticker on the in the triangle yeah that was i mean you can't if you're chris sale you just shouldn't be giving up balls hit that hard i mean you just shouldn't it 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 you not only are you not fooling people, but they're comfortable in the box to the point where they're going to put a swing on it and have that level of success. Like that's not who Chris Sale is. Chris Sale makes you uncomfortable. You always have that feeling like if you're a right-handed hitter, that slider is going to hit you in the back foot, or if you're a lefty, that that he's going to have one a, a two-seamer that runs in and on runs in and on you and you know get you in the wrist or something. Like you're uncomfortable. And then he throws you the slider off the plate, and because you're worried about the two-seamer, you swing and miss and look like a jackass. But that's not what's happening right now. Like These balls are absolutely ripped. The Maven ball was really just an un- – and, and ESPN, who, who I think does a shitty job on their broadcast, but I guess that's a podcast for a different time. They did a good thing on this particular swing as they went behind to the Yankees um, – on deck circle and showed a reverse view of that swing. And it just goes to show you how comfortable an average hitter was in that spot and the type of swing he put on the ball. It's just, that's the biggest concerning factor for me is, you know, look, if you're going to get beat by eight, you know, quails, right. Or seeing singles, or you're, you know, you just don't have your command. So you got three walks and a start or whatever may be the case. Fine. I can live with that. That used to happen to Pedro all the time. When Pedro wasn't good, it wasn't because he was getting hit all over the place. It was he had an uncharacteristic uh, command, and then he just caught some bad breaks where where bleeders got through and 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 quails found a way to get over the shortstop's head. You know, whereas most times those get caught. That's not what's happening to Chris Sale. These balls are absolute missiles. It's a problem. It's an indication that he's not sharp. He's not sharp within the strike zone, and the and the hitters don't fear him like they did last year. I think there's one other thing that I noticed tonight. He seemed to go 3-0 on like three-quarters of the guys he went against, which is uncharacteristic of him. If you look at him, he's usually a guy that's attacking the zone like crazy and going after hitters. And 
it seemed like he was trying to nibble around the plate, which is very un- uh, uncharacteristic of Sal. And, and, you know, you get behind 3-0, and then he grew one, and guys were driving it. So it's it's a little weird there. I, I'm not used to seeing it normally. It's it's just dart. The first two innings, it, it was kind of vintage Sal. He was, it was dart after dart after dart. He's painting the corners. He's just got nasty, filthy stuff. Third inning, it seemed to fall apart, and the, the crappy version of Sal came back and he was 3-0, 3-0, 3-0 and these grooving pitches and guys are dragging them. So it's just weird. There's something definitely off this year. I, I think that's the toughest part because we're used to seeing the innings one and two Sal like all the time and he's been more like innings three through six uh, the majority of the year where he's He's walking guys. The control isn't there. He's leaping them over the plate and just getting hammered. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. I wish I did. I don't think anybody does. I, I don't think it's an injury. I mean, it seems like he's still, the the velo is still there. Everything's still there. It's just the control isn't pinpoint accuracy this year. And he, to your point, he's getting hit a lot harder. And hopefully, he figures it out. But I'm starting to get a little bit pessimistic on that. Well, his fastball has never really had a ton of movement. You know, he's been able to locate it, but it's been his off-speed stuff, specifically his slider, that is so deadly. You know, his slider down and in, you know, the last few years was, for the most part, one of his two out pitches. His other out pitch was the fastball up and away, and guys aren't swinging at that second one. They're not. He's not getting guys out on his fastball up and away. When he throws it, it's for a ball. So, you know, when you say you can't find the solution, that's just it. Chris Sale does not have a solution for strike three for the most part. And he's got to figure that out. And you can see him trying to. You know, he's trying to be crafty. But what's been happening in the last several weeks is... He's he's scuffled and he's had a huge problem with guys following off pitches and it's it's prolonging the at bats and his pitch count has gone up pretty quickly. I mean, you used to be able to count on Chris Sale going seven full innings and right now we're we're lucky if he gets out of the fifth, you know, with with only a few runs scored. And you know, that's to me, been the huge difference between the last couple years and this year. I mean, look, at the end of the day, something's different. I'd love an answer as to what it is. And even if it is like I'm a mental midget, then that's fine. I'll take that. But (laughs) the, the, the problem with where he's at is that it doesn't seem like there's a fix in place or they're even working towards a fix. It's it's constantly like, well, I'm going to go out there and give it my best shot. So based on what we've seen, that, that just leads us to believe that he's going to continue to have good starts against the shitty teams and then underwhelm basically the rest of the time. I mean, he's 5-10. and 10. I saw a stat that if he won 667 uh, clip in his starts last year. So he won in games. He started, he started 27 starts. You know, they won, you know what I 16 of them, whatever it was. So every out of every three starts, they won two of his starts, whether he got the decision or not. 
if he was doing that this year, and I want to say it was friend of the program, Chris Smith, tweeted that they would be on pace for 99 wins. So when you talk about the fact that this team is underwhelmed, and if you want to talk about the one person that could have the greatest effect on that being the other way, it's Chris Sale. And the, the, to, to say that there's no answer is hugely problematic in my mind. Hugely problematic. I mean, we've talked about Ben Benintendi's turned the corner, at least in this series. Mookie's been better. Devers is an MVP candidate. Xander's an MVP candidate. JD's been great. The bullpen sucked, but they sucked last year too. So what's the one thing that we can we can look at and go, if this guy can figure it out, we'll be better. And it's Chris Sale, and he's going, I don't know how to be better. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. I mean, it leads me to believe that this team is destined to get rolled in a wild card game against the fucking Oakland Athletics or Cleveland or Minnesota or whoever the fuck it's going to be. But that's what's going to happen. It very well could. It could. And, uh, you know, there's nothing we can say that we haven't been saying, you know, for, for most of the season. It's been more bad than good, you know, for sale. And... Um, hopefully he gets a better his next start will be against the Yankees he won't be pitching in this Tampa series so you know we'll we'll see what happens you know next weekend I guess uh, Matt who do you have as your zero I hate to bang on him for a second straight uh, podcast but I have to go Nate Evaldi again um, and, and I really do like Evaldi um and I thought, you know, I know when we talked on the last podcast, we were saying, well, hopefully, you know, he, he can pitch. The, he can pitch for. The, we'll have him around for the Rodriguez start. Well, you know, they definitely did. Uh, and the first time he went out there, he pitched an inning. I uh, gave up one hit, struck out one, but didn't give up any runs, didn't walk anybody, and he looked pretty good. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe of all these, he's there. He's knocked the rust off. We're good. Then he came in in the Erod start, or after the Erod start, and uh, he pitched one inning and gave up three hits, two earned runs, struck out two, and, and really kind of made a game of what wasn't much of a game prior to that. So he, he just didn't doesn't look like he, he's got he's getting hit a little bit. I don't know if it's still knocking rust off. I don't I don't know what the deal is, but. You know, not to not to really harp on this guy, but he's a guy that the Red Sox absolutely need to turn things around to solidify that bullpen. Uh, I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. If uh, Darwinson Hernandez continues to do what he's done, and he's looked good, and he looked great tonight. Uh, obviously, there were the two runs that were charged. Uh, they were unearned runs uh, because of Jackie Bradley Jr.'s errant throw, but. I mean, he's looked really good. You're, he's starting to develop into a guy. It sounds like, like uh, Cora is starting to trust him more and more, and he could be a late-inning uh, late reliever. So if, if they can get him in there and, and continue to progress and they can get Evaldi right, that back end of the bullpen looks a lot tougher, and guys kind of seem to fall in place. But Evaldi just is not... He hasn't put it together. So that rough, uh, that rough appearance in the, I think they were up at the time nine to 
I think it was nine to three at the time, and he came in and gave up a couple runs and made it nine five, and I think that was the final score. Uh, that's that's just tough. They just need them to lock it down. These aren't high leverage situations, um, and, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe he's better in the higher lever leverage situations. He's just coming in and mop up duty right now. Uh, the two times he's been hit hard, it hasn't really been a game. So maybe he's just out there, just kind of working on things. I, I I really don't know, but it it didn't look very good uh, on Saturday night. I think that, you know, I don't think it's going to get much worse for Evaldi. I think it's just more a matter of working off some of the rust, you know, being on the mound, facing batters. And, you know, with Sale, I mean, I feel like the bottom can fall out and it could get really bad. But with Evaldi, I think he'll figure it out. And he was fortunate enough to not really have to pitch in a high leverage spot this series. And I'm just, I'm not too worried about him right now, basically. Yeah, I mean, same here. I, look, if if he is almost anybody else, he's getting four, five, six appearances at Pawtucket. That's not what they did. They sent him down, he got one, and then they said, let's get him, let's have him available and the theory was, and I think this has played out, so I feel pretty confident in saying this. The theory was, let's see if we can find some low-leverage situations to put him in. But if we need him in a high-leverage situation, at least he's on the roster and available. And so what they've done is they've put him in a bunch of games where they're up a touchdown and let him kind of struggle into form, which I think is more valuable than having him go down to Pawtucket and just blow people away. So I like the way they've handled Evaldi. They've continued to put him in situations where he can't lose the game. And, you know, part of that is he's pitching in low-leverage situations. So you put him in a high-leverage situation, he's going to be a little more goosed, obviously, at that time. And I think you're going to see him be successful now. I mean, obviously, that I could be wrong on that. But, look, I mean, Kimbrell was famous for not being good and what was it 2017 he had like a plus six era in non-save situations and then in save situations he had like a sub one era i mean that's it's the psychology of closing games is not something that's new to to the boston fan base not to say that avaldi's going through that but at least he's here and let's say tonight was a one-run game and we're in the 13th inning and you need a guy at least avaldi's here and has the upside to get through that inning and so I, I think they've handled it well, and I and and there hasn't been a lot that I think they have handled well, but I think Avaldi's been one of them. So I'm excited to be where he was. I have, I have no issue with the zero. He has not pitched well, uh, admittedly, in spots where he was basically um, allowed to not pitch well because of the situation. And I give some credit to Alex Cora and um, you know the coaching staff for for allowing him to get comfortable in those low leverage situations. But I agree with Terry. I'm not worried about Nathan Avaldi. I think his stuff is good enough, and I think that his with his elite strike throwing, he's going to not be a problem um, in the late innings unless he gets hit. So, yeah, and also, I mean, for everybody that was clamoring for him to be a starter, I I think those people are should be pretty well resigned that he's right where he's supposed to be at this point. And, you know, so I don't know. Any, any more thoughts, Matt, before we move on? No, the one thing I, you know, I kind of touched that. This is a little bit off of 
Aldi, but what are the thoughts on on Hernandez? I mean, we've got a guy now that's sitting here. He's he's pitched now ten innings and he's got twenty two strikeouts and a two point. I think it's about two point seven something ERA so far. Uh, the control issues that that he had kind of earlier in the season and and that people were concerned about have, have kind of gone away. Is this guy a landing? Is he a legit late inning guy? Or I mean, the the strikeouts, the the K per nine is is ridiculous there. What are your thoughts on that? I think for sure he could definitely be a factor tonight. He scuffled a little bit, but I think he had some inherited base runners there. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you pitch, try to start him, and and he goes four, five, six innings, the walk rate is through the roof, but. I think as a reliever, he can kind of simplify things more. You know, instead of, you know, being overwhelmed by three or four pitches, he can probably just take his best two and kind of hone in on those. And then maybe the third one will come within time. But he's got absolutely nasty stuff. And I'd kind of like to see him, you know, maybe for the next handful of appearances, probably be used more in low leverage, especially with Barnes pitching far better than he had been. And, you know, Workman's been solid for the most part. So I take advantage of, uh, you know, at least a few more low leverage situations. But I think this guy could be one of those lights out guys that kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, So my optimism's high. Jeremy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm instead of pontificating and going into unnecessary duplicative detail, I will say that for once I agree with Terry here. <laughs> that, he, that's his mandatory one show. <laughs> I agree with Terry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I don't want to agree with Terry. I want to call him an idiot, publicly say he doesn't know what he's talking about, privately text Matt and say he's a moron, but I'm not going to do that on this one. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, mine, I can't really, we've hammered on all the bad pitchers. I mean, everybody, Hembry, I guess, gave up an earned run somewhere in there. Um, wasn't tonight's appearance, but, uh, I'll just go with Bradley. You know, the, it's tough to pick, you know, when you win three out of four, you know, and at the plate, Bradley really, other than tonight, wasn't really too bad. Six for 16, Scored five runs and uh, drove in three throughout the series, but he did have a pretty disastrous defensive play where uh, he could have uh, doubled up uh, and picked off a uh, a runner. I think it was Luke Voigt wouldn't have made it back to first to tag up, and uh, the ball went towards the Red Sox dugout. Two more runs came in, and that made the score. It was six to three, which was manageable, but it became eight to three on that play. And uh, I facetiously tweeted out trade Bradley after that. And uh, yeah, so he's my zero. Go for it, Matt. Jump in. I'll come in after you. Yeah, honestly. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that kind of was the nail in the coffin tonight. But outside of that, it's real tough to pick, to your point, to pick many zeros in the series. The series, I mean, they, 
up until tonight, and even tonight, as ugly as they were, uh, it was still only three run three run loss, and they they still put up some decent numbers and had some opportunities. Uh, it was real ugly, but it's tough to pick that many zeros on uh, in a series where you, they basically shellacked the Yankees three out of four games. Absolutely. We, we don't really have to waste much time on Bradley. Uh, you know, he's, I mean, you know, look, I'll, I'll say, I'll say this about Brad. Okay. Just quickly. Yep. I think he sucks offensively and the, the, I think his value defensively is so it's like, it's like state run propaganda, his defense. And so, I mean, look, yes, he's a good defensive player. Is it worth his pathetic runs offensively? No, it's not. And then he does what he did tonight, which was, scramble out of the pocket like Tom Brady and then throw a ball into the flat with no one at first base and cost you two runs and took you out of a chance to get back in the game. So if you're going to be the defensive guy that is worth it no matter what he gives offensively, you just can't do that. I mean, that, and that's just tonight's game. So, I mean, he did make some nice plays. The The same ball that I was talking about with – um that drove sale from the game. He he played that into a double, which is that that ball should have easily been a triple. He played it really well. I mean, he is a good defensive player and all those sorts of things, but he just sucks offensively. And uh, he was overmatched in the ninth against. Um, oh my god, I'm spacing it. Jesus, Terry, jump in here. What's this? Who's the closer? Why am I oh, why am Chap- I forgetting Chapman. the closer? Up? <laughs> Chat. Uh, yeah, Chapman. Jesus Christ, Jeremy, get your get your, get. get that's Fix a... it here. Uh, but anyways, he just was overmatched. I thought he had some bad at-bats in this game, and I have no confidence when he's at the plate. Um, and then, you know, again, just, you know, you can't be the guy who's so good defensively that it doesn't matter what he does offensively and then throw a ball into the dugout. So, anyways. I, I almost thought that maybe he threw it away thinking the inning was over, forgot how many outs there were. Uh, but I don't think he did. But I mean, it was just like it was a weird enough play that it was one of the questions, you know, that that ran through my head. But nonetheless, Bogart pointed to first. He pointed to first. Bogart did and was yelling for him to throw to first. The problem was Hernandez didn't cover first. He wasn't backing it up. And uh, I think Bradley Jr. took a quick look and, and thought the the first base coach for the Yankees was Moreland. Not that they look anything alike, but and he just fired it in there, quick glance. Uh, that's that's what they were saying, and I mean that kind of shit happens. It's not. It was it was ugly. It's not what you want to see, but uh, you know uh, they had plenty of other opportunities to win this game. I mean, it sucks. It definitely did drive the nail in the coffin. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting into uh, some stuff that we're kind of looking ahead to as far as transactions, trades, whatnot. Um, Buster Olney at the start of the ESPN broadcast tonight speculated that the Red Sox were very much going to be active, you know, on the trade market, and he felt one more big move was coming so can we all agree that that's probably a reliever at this point I don't see where else it, it, it could go it it better fucking be that's all I'll say about that 
who who can we expect? I mean, there there was I was it Buster that also speculated it could be Edwin Diaz from the Mets who was one of their big acquisitions. Um, so that's one yeah, possibility. Would... Shane Green is still out on the market. Uh, as is Kirby Yates. Um, you know, it, there probably are some outside the box. Will Smith was a guy I liked, but it looks more and more like the Giants are not going to be dealing anyone. They had a, a good weekend taking two out of three from the Padres. So, I mean, who, who do we want at this point to, to come in and pitch a late inning the name the name does not matter here's what i want an elite swing and miss guy that's all it can be his name can be joe it can be paula it can be victor i don't care what his fucking name is just find the guy and get him here we need a swing and miss arm and i don't care if it's on fastball sliders change-ups uh knuckle curves wiffle balls uh, sponge balls, I don't care. It's got to be a swing and miss guy at a high rate. And then that's all I care about. And I, I, I do, just the name doesn't fucking matter. It just doesn't. That's what this bullpen needs. And it's unfortunately the problem is we probably need two of them, but you're just not going to get two of them. So I'll just, I mean, but that's what it has to be. I don't, I don't, the name just doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- there's, a lot of imp- well, there's a lot of um, factors here that are coming into play. I mean, we do not want to exceed that, or, or I should say, the Red Sox do not want to exceed that third luxury tax threshold, which apparently we're under by about six million. Um, Kirby Yates by far has uh, more strikeouts than anyone. Well, I shouldn't say by far. Uh, Brad Hand is uh, just a little behind him. But he's with the Padres. And, uh, Matt, you saw you saw an article from, what, M- NBC Sports that thought Chavis and Hernandez were basically their asking price? Yeah, they're, uh, the, the report was NBC Sports Boston, and, and they were talking about how Padres essentially want um, the equivalent to or better than what the Yankees received for Andrew Miller uh, when they traded him to Cleveland and got um, Clint Frazier or the trade where they sent Chapman and got Gliber Torres. Um, and, and, and what they were throwing out, and this may have been speculation on the part of NBC Boston, was that it would be Darlington, Hernandez, Chavis, and uh, I believe the, the package would be centered around those guys. They could throw in like a Bobby Dahlbach or a Tristan Casas or something. I mean, those are the main names that are being thrown around. Uh, there's not a lot in the system right now. Uh, most of the guys that they have are yeah, – it, things have kind of changed with the way that the teams are looking at prospects these days. Uh, at this point, they're looking for guys who are major league, right on the cusp of being major league ready. And I think a lot of that is there's all these promising prospects, especially on the pitching end of things. 
that are just hyped up and the hype train is huge and then they never play. I mean, we can see some of the guys that the Red Sox have traded away in past years as far as pitchers, whether it be like a Casey Kelly or it be an Anderson Espinosa or guys like that, but they're, they're really high-end prospects, but they're at like single A or, you know, high A or whatever it is, and they blow their arms out and, and they just don't make it. And uh, so they're looking for the guys that are either in the majors that are young and controllable or they're looking right on the cusp of being in the majors. So those are the names that they were throwing out. Uh, you know, the, the guys I've seen the Red Sox tied most to or, or the most articles on as far as the rumor goes are Diaz, and that, that's kind of been gaining a little bit more traction, and he seems to be the hot name uh, more lately. Uh, Yates was the guy before that, and then... Uh, Ken Giles and Daniel Hudson were the other guys. Um, I haven't really seen them tied too much to Shane Green or Will Smith, and there's a lot of thoughts that Smith may not be traded now because of uh, uh, the hot streak that the, the Giants are on. So Diaz kind of, the, the thought process there is he's young, he's controllable, uh, they've got him signed through 2022. So, yes, they'd have to give up some premier prospects for him. But the, the thing is, is he'd fit under their salary constraints for the next four or five years. Um, he's having kind of a down year. I know that Dombrowski was definitely in on him prior to the Mariners trading for him uh, in the offseason. The Red Sox were kind of being tied to that. So there's a possibility if he's available that Dombrowski may go out and get his guy. Uh, what they have to throw down and get him, um, you know, you, you may see that they they throw out a, a Bobby Dahlbach or a Durbin Feltman or a Tristan Casas, uh, somebody like that, you know. So, uh, I don't think that I'd want to pull the trigger, me personally, uh, for Chavis, for, for Hernandez. I think we've seen enough uh, enough promise there, and, and they're helping the team currently enough that, I don't know that you derail that, that progress by sending them off someplace else. So uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, I'm not really sold on Giles. Um, he's a guy that kind of punches himself in the face. Um, that That's kind of not the guy that I want as my closer. I kind of want somebody with some composure that, that, that seems like he can handle the big situation, not a guy that's you know punching himself in the mouth as he goes into the dugout. It's typically not not one of the characteristics I look for. Um, I know that there was some talk that they may try to package he and, and Hudson together. Hudson's having a great year. Giles is having a great year this year. But last year, both were trash. And, you know, I'd I like to see the guys with track records. Uh, this year, you know, Diaz is kind of having a trash year. Um as far as the ERA, he's given up a little bit more on the, the home runs, the runs. Uh, the ERA is uh, just south of five right now, which is kind of ugly. But, I mean, last year it was sub two with a .79 whip, which is incredible. And the guy struck out 124 batters in 73 innings and had 57 saves. Uh, he's still striking out over 35% of the batters. So, if they can swing a deal and, and get rid of some uh, you know, obviously they're going to have to give up some high-level guys. They might be able to get him a little bit lower than, you know, normal because he is having kind of an off year. 
but if they can get him and get him under control till 2020 without having to trade either Chavis or Hernandez, then, you know, honestly, I, I look at Dahlbach and, and, and Tristan Costas, and I'm like, you already have third baseman, you have corner infielders locked up between Chavis and, and Devers. So they're a little bit more expendable. Uh, maybe you pull the trigger and get a closer for the next five years, four years, whatever it is, and I'd be okay with that. Well, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not putting Michael Chavis in any deal whatsoever. I mean, we've got a couple high end prospects, you know, double A, triple A, you know, between Feltman and Lakins. I was just looking at Feltman's uh, last 10 games, and he has got knocked around a little bit, but these are guys that are going to be up late this year or no later than next spring. So, I'm not too concerned about, you know, getting somebody who has a ton of control left. Diaz has three years remaining after this year. His first year of arbitration will actually be next. And But, I mean, he pitched in a very safe ballpark in Seattle with no pressure whatsoever. Gets traded to the Mets. And I know it's a circus there, but... He should be pretty solid, you know, and and he hasn't been in a big market. Giles, another guy having a, a very good year, unlike Diaz, but struggled really bad with um, Houston, was terrible in the 2017 uh, postseason. That's how the legend of Charlie Morton kind of came to be with him getting some long relief. And then uh, the next season... Giles basically, you know, just never got it together. And there was one appearance, I I don't know if it was before or after he punched himself in the face, but he threw another dud, went back in the dugout, and you could see him say to A.J. Hinch, oh, fuck you, you know? So that guy's a punk, and I want no part of him in Boston, you know, where he does have a record of not being able to handle, you know, pressure and a big market i like yates a lot but i would not meet the asking price of of chavis and hernandez in that deal and you know and i i like yates's stuff the most he didn't really emerge until last year he had a 214 era he was well above four you know in the seasons previous to that and but you know 214 last year a 107 ERA this year and he's got one more year of control and he leads all closers in strikeouts so that's the sexy guy that's out there in my opinion but if we're going to get him i think it's going to be after 3:30 p.m. on the uh, 31st which is Wednesday deadlines at 4 p.m. and It'll be late in the process, and I I think if we do get him, it's going to be because the Padres know that no one's going to meet their asking price. There are enough guys out there that make the market saturated enough that will probably force the Padres to come down at least a little bit, but... I don't know how it's going to shake out. And Shane Green isn't probably Jeremy's candidate because he's not a strikeout guy. Uh, 
for the most part, but you know, one of the more solid guys and he's a rental. The Tigers can't really ask for a whole lot. I would settle for Shane Green if uh, if it came to it. And I forgot that that NBC sports piece. They actually uh, suggested that the the starting point for Gates might be Andrew Benintendi, which no. not only would I say no, no but I, I, it would be fuck no. There's no chance in hell I would ever give up Benintendi for anything, um, especially at a reliever. Um, they kind of grow on trees. Ben Benintendi's do not. I've been vehemently against the trade Andrew Benintendi uh, brigade. It's not, it's not a huge brigade, but I have seen fans mention that you know maybe he is a little expendable, and I wouldn't move him for anything right now. I mean, he's not untradeable, but you'd have to get an absolute haul for him. And if you think going in this season to win a World Series to trade Benintendi is the move, you're an absolute dumb person because yeah. you can't. You're not good enough. I mean, you're not good enough. So why would you lose the next potentially eight years of Benintendi for what? Two bullpen arms, a couple of prospects, and a fourth outfielder? No, 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 no. Especially when you're selling low when he's only a seven seventy seven. OPS? No, no, not 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 having it. Now, if you got one team out there that's stupid and wants to give you, a, you know, a starting outfielder, a starting pitcher, two bullpen arms, and two prospects, fine. But that's not going to happen. the 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 league generally is attempting to set a better market, um, and so there's just you're not seeing a, a ton of overspending, especially in prospects. So I mean, it is what it is. But it, I'll take anybody if it means we can replenish what has been stripped down to nothing as far as the farm system. And Benintendi is not untouchable. Now he's as close to untouchable as anybody else. Um, and so, and, and I don't think he's going to move anywhere. But I mean, I you know, look, if you can get a haul for anybody, I'd do it. I mean, you know, the guy is is Mookie, though. That's the guy I'm looking at to get the haul. But as far as the bullpen, I mean, look, you guys are better at the prospects than me. I'll admit it. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not in New England anymore, so I can't stay up to date on, you know, and I used to go to Pawtucket, and I used to uh, do a better job with Portland and everything else. But but nowadays, I'm, I just don't know the prospects other than the main guys. So I'll just leave that to you other than to say that I'm steadfast in, in my belief that the thing that this bullpen needs more than anything is a swing and miss guy. And uh, and, I, and I ate probably two of them. So, but look, uh, everyone else is trending in the right direction, but for Chris Sale. So let's see what happens here, you know, and maybe you can overcome the bullpen just like you did last year if, if, if it does fall right. So. Uh, the Yankees probably uh, are a little more frustrated today than they were yesterday. Marcus Stroman has been traded to the Mets for a package that centers around a couple of pitching prospects. Um, I think that's hilarious because, you know, they're basically being held for ransom at this point as far as New York goes. Like, Andrew Cashman, or excuse me, Brian Cashman. I don't know why I keep watching. Maybe it's because we got the picture. But but uh, Brian Cashman probably hates having zero control over being able to go after the biggest name out there. 
and and he can't because he's with the Mets and they haven't done a trade since 2001 and he talked about wanting Scherzer but the Nats are back in it and they might even compete for the division so um they're probably pretty frustrated I'm sure they had at least one more chance to to beat the Mets offer for Stroman before they ultimately passed on him and and didn't do it and so I don't know. They they must be in at this point on Trevor Bauer or Robbie Ray. And if you guys didn't see this yet, Bauer gave up seven runs today to the Royals. Francona starts heading to the mound to get him and to take the ball from him, but Bauer turns around towards center field and launches the ball from the pitcher's mound over the center field wall. Francona yells at him, and Bauer left. So, I, you know, so it's just kind of hilarious right now what's going on. And um, the Yankees, I mean, Jeremy, you say we need two relievers. They might need two starters. Uh, CC Sabathia just went on the DL today. Tanaka hasn't pitched well against us. Paxton's been scuffling. Hap has been a disaster all season long, so that's a team that that's probably got a higher level of anxiety than any other team right now. Here's the thing about the Yankees. They are clearly the best team in the East as far as a 162-game season. I take nothing away from what they're accomplishing. I still think the Red Sox have a better chance of winning the World Series, and I give them zero chance to win the East. And some someone out there saying, well, Jeremy, you're a moron. That doesn't make any sense. Well, maybe I am a moron, but it does make sense because one team has top-end pitching, at least in the starting rotation, and one team has almost no pitching. And if Severino's not going to be back and give you something, then you're, you're, you're legitimately fucked. And now that Stroman's off the table, I mean, and the Mets aren't going to give the Yankees Syndergaard, where do you go to vast, you know, drastically improve the start of rotation. So look, they're going to win the East. I there's I don't I don't even look at the East standings anymore. But I'd give them a 0% chance to win a World Series. I mean, they just don't have the horses in a long series to win. I don't think they can beat Cleveland because I think Cleveland will ultimately win the Central. I don't think they can beat Cleveland. I think if the if the Sox win the wild card playing game and get into a short series. I don't think they can beat the Red Sox, and I do not, and I know they can't beat the Astros. So I just don't see them as as candidates. And and I think you're dead on right, Terry. One starting pitching pro, starting pitcher is probably not enough. I mean, they just are they they just don't have the horses. So, which by the way warms my heart because I love watching them suck, and I also love watching their fans get false hope right before they crash and burn. Scumbag fan base, and their their window oh, is, I don't is disagree. shortening. I'm just saying they got a shorter window. But go ahead, Matt. Matt, you disagree? No, I was going to say I don't disagree with anything you said. I I I don't think they're built for the playoffs. I mean, they, yes, they have an elite bullpen, and and they stocked up on those bullpen arms. But what good does that do you if your rotation goes out and and they play like they did against the Red Sox, and, and you know they're done by the third inning, and it's already seven nothing or nine nothing or whatever it is. Uh, you know, it's just not going to do you any good. And, and whether it's the Red Sox, 
um, or it's the you know the Astros. I mean, there's firepower on those two teams that they'll light up your starters real quick. Um, Cleveland just is so deep in their rotation that you know it's it's tough. They may not have the offense, but they're going to be able to hang with them, and and I think they have a good chance to beat. Uh, beat the Yankees in the series. I think the Twins have the firepower offensively to beat them as well. You know, it would be interesting to see where some of these guys go. Um, I think everybody knows the Yankees, are their backs are up against the wall. I do know that the the Blue Jays had asked for Davey Garcia or Debbie Garcia, however you pronounce his first name, uh, who's an elite pitching prospect, and, and he was in the Futures game. He's one of the best pitching prospects in, in all of baseball, and that's who everybody seems keyed in on for the Yankees. Um, and the Yankees don't seem to want to part with them. Well, uh, you know, these guys are starting to go off the board. And, and I think you will see, I think they're going to probably land Robbie Ray. And if I had to guess, uh, I, I do think they'll get another guy. It's possible they go back to their, their old boy, uh, Lance Lynn, or somebody like a, a maybe a 1A or a 1B, something like a, maybe a Mike Miner. Uh, yeah, I could even see him getting Castillo, uh, but they're going to have to pay up. All these teams know that, hey, the Yankees are, are hard up. I mean, yes, people know that the Red Sox are, are hard up for bullpen options, but at the same time, the, the Red Sox kind of position themselves smartly where Dombrowski can say, hey, you know, of all these knocking the rust off, we have all these guys getting healthy. Brian Johnson's coming back. We got guys coming back. We have guys. They've been pitching better. We don't need it. And that's actually what Dombrowski came out and said the last couple of days he's been beating that drum as, ah, we don't really have any holes in our in our team. We we think we're pretty good. We're coming together well, and, and, and we don't know that we need to add anybody. And it may be smoke. It's a smart play, I think, on his part if it is, because, I mean, we all know that they need some more bullpen help outside of workmen. There's nothing but... You know, if he can, if he can convince these other guys that he's he's not bluffing, he's he's not looking for bullpen arms, and you know, it kind of drives down the price a little bit. The Yankees can't do that; they just got annihilated by the Red Sox, and everybody and their brother knows that they need some rotational help. And uh, with CC going down, and and it doesn't look like I don't think Seth Marino's coming back. If he does, it may be a situation where he's just pitching out of the bullpen. I think there's more to that problem than, than they're letting on to. But, but, I mean, you basically have Herman, Tanaka, um, well, some, um, Paxson, who's been terrible. Um, you know, you, you don't have any legit frontline starters on that entire staff. So, uh, you know, I, I think that everybody knows they've got them backed up and it may deplete their farm system which is fantastic I, I think it's great if they have to sell and i'd love to see him get a zach wheeler and then have wheeler you know have health issues or whatever and have it not work out and have to mortgage the whole farm for it and be nothing better than that i think robbie ray makes the most sense i mean he's a He'd be a number two in most rotations. He's had a sub for ERA and just barely a sub for ERA in two out of the last three. And then uh, 2017, he was basically the ace of the Diamondback staff. I think he was the starter for the one-game wild card that they were in. But he's a lefty, and that plays well you know, for the Red Sox because we got a lot of lefties in our lineup. So... I think that might be one of the things they consider. Um, 
you mentioned uh, Mike Miner and Lance Lynn. They've already tried the Lance Lynn thing, uh, you know. So I think they would go with with uh, with Miner on that one. And they're both Texas Rangers, so they're dealing with the same team. Miner's actually been pretty stout this year. He's got exactly a three point zero zero ERA, but he has gotten tagged for four runs in his last three starts. So. I'm not sure if he's kind of hit a wall yet, but he could potentially be a guy that they get um, on the cheap. And he's also a lefty as well. So um, definitely a couple of uh, interesting names. And also the, the Astros, as I was texting with Jeremy earlier, they're going to be in on most of the same guys the Yankees are because... Syndergaard, the asking price for him is is astronomical, and the Astros have had a really good pitching program, and they can turn a number five starter like Wade Miley or Charlie Morton into a number three, and they can take a guy like Robbie Ray and probably make him a bona fide ace. You know, they just have a a really good pitching program, and guys seem to really you know, elevate their games down there. And Garrett Cole was an ace anyway, but he's been murdering people with strikeouts the last couple of years. Last I checked, he was leading uh, the league this year in strikeouts. So if he's not currently, he's definitely top two or three. And, um, you know, so it's going to be kind of interesting to see those two teams outmaneuver each other because, most likely that's probably the ALCS matchup, you know, depending on how things shake out. Just, just, uh, there's a piece that just came up not to, uh, just here in the last couple hours on Bleacher Report talking about how basically the Yankees are, the, the, the Stroman deal escalated their, their needs and how it's kind of backed them up. And, you know, it looks like, they're saying Syndergaard is more than likely, and, and I've read a couple of reports that he's going to the Padres. They have the prospects. They wanted him in the offseason. Um, part of the Stroman deal was to potentially flip some of those guys to, to get, um, you know, get, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the, the Stroman deal, they were going to, uh, they wanted to, to get Stroman and uh, be able to use uh, Syndergaard to get some prospects back. And uh, they're saying now that they don't think the Giants or the Indians are going to trade um, Bumgarner or um, Bauer, respectively. So and a couple of guys have no trade clauses to the Yankees, Grinky and Miner. Um, but they're talking about how how basically Boyd, uh, Matthew Boyd, they're looking for the Tigers want a package that starts with Liber Torres. So they don't. They've been kind of kicking that one away, and and the Reds want even more than that for Castillo. So it's uh it's gonna be tough. It looks like the most likely are, are probably Robbie Ray, Zach Wheeler, Lance Lynn, Miner, or or Tanner Roark. So which uh, I've got to be honest with you, as a Red Sox fan, none of those names really strike fear deep into my heart. I'm surprised the Tigers would want Glaber Torres, where he's probably got, I'm guessing, four years of control or so left. You know, I you'd think they'd just want a high end prospect that 
they'll have six or seven years with. But um, had something, had a thought, but I uh, slipped my mind apparently. <laughs> oh, Davey Garcia, that's the Yankees' top pitching prospect. He went seven scoreless today and in 22 starts this year he's got like a 224 ERA so I don't even know if I'd, I I want to deal him you know if I'm the Yankees you know that that sounds pretty good but but he's going to be the prospect that all the other teams want so we'll see uh, why don't we uh, just go ahead and uh, get into this Tampa series before we wrap here. Uh, the only matchup we know of is tomorrow, David Price versus Charlie Morton. Uh, Rick Porcello goes in game two against the TBA. And then, uh, or is that, yeah, Porcello game two. And then Rodriguez, or excuse me, Andrew Kashner game three. So, both of those guys have TBAs, probably going to be an opener. Snell is on the DL for, they said, eight weeks. He's got loose bodies in his elbow. That's what they said for Eovaldi, that he'd be six to eight weeks, and it was like 12 weeks. So um, Snell could be lost for the season. I'm not sure what Tyler Glasnow's status is, but... He's not back as of yet, and um, it, it could be a little while. Um, so with Price and Morton, this is Price's first game back you know, at Fenway since the Eckersley controversy. He did pitch well against the Rays uh, pre in his previous start. Charlie Morton also pitched well against us. How do you guys see this one playing out? Well, before the Yankees series, I would say loss, loss, loss. Um, but at this point, I see loss, loss, win. <laughs> or loss, win, loss. They're going to lose the David Price start. He sucks. He's a piece of shit. Um, so, I mean, Morton's going to beat us uh, Tuesday. Um, and then you got Porcello Kashner, who... I mean, are basically one and the same at this point. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we don't get swept, but um, I expect that if the pitching's good with with the Devil Rays, th th we're gonna come kind of back to where we've been for most of the year, which is underwhelming. So I have them losing two out of three in this series, with Game One being a 100% dud loss because Price sucks. Yeah, I also actually failed to mention that uh, there was a trade today between the Rays and the Indians. Uh, the Rays sent Hunter Wood, who has a 2.48 ERA in their bullpen, so kind of curious as to why he would get moved. And then they sent Christian Arroyo also to the Indians, and he was uh, acquired in the Evan Longoria deal. So... I'm just wondering what the Rays' mindset is at this point. You know, are they, they could be blowing it up, and I, well, not blowing it up, but they might be giving up on the season, I guess, is, is the, the better way to put it. Um, so I, I don't know. I think we could take, I think we could easily take two out of three here and, and possibly sweep them as well. You know, I, I, you know, we're hot right now, and, 
the Rays are not, and we're at Fenway, and I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm saying two out of three. Where, where are you at with it, Matt? Uh, kind of waffled between one out of three and two out of three. Um, I think that, um, uh, I think that Morton beats Bryce. Um, my guess is that Porcello and Cashier, the guys are mainly going to go against, are probably going to be Beats and Garborough. Um, you know, they, they beat up on Beats pretty pretty decently last time. Uh, Yarbrough, I don't know if he pitched against them or not. Um, he, he might be on the DL, actually. Oh, no, that was, uh, never mind, that was Stanek or whatever. Yeah, so you could be right. Yeah, so uh, my guess is it's going to be those guys. Uh, Chirinos just pitched today, and he got smacked around pretty good. So he's not going to be – he's not in line. So those are my guesses that it will be those guys will be the main guys. They'll probably have openers or do whatever the hell it is that the Rays do. They kind of just like, random with whatever the hell it is out there. Uh, you know, whether it's their openers and how they just start guys sometimes and use openers other times. I don't know. But those would probably be the two that will get the, the, the meat of the, the rotation, but uh, or, uh, the starts, rather. Um, I, I do know that Glasnow uh, is still a couple weeks out. They just announced today he's like two weeks out still from returning. So it uh, definitely won't be him. But, um, you know, I'm going to be optimistic and go two out of three on this. Uh, not wildly optimistic. Um uh, I think my initial I had it as price is a loss, Porcello is a loss, and then Cashner is the win. But I'll I'll go. You know what? Price is much as I don't think for whatever reason I just think he's kind of due. But I don't know some some pairings either Price or Porcello, one of the two will will pull out a win, and I think Cashner is good for a win. Um, to your question of whether they were selling off, I also read. Uh, what uh, the reason they traded those guys away? The Rays traded those guys away. They're trying to make room on their forty-man roster because they are going to have Glassman coming back. They have a couple guys coming off the DL, so they're trying to adjust. So one guy was somebody that had just cleared waivers that they traded away, and then they were trying to move a couple other guys off their main roster just to to make room for these guys coming off in the next couple days. Yeah, well, if if we win tomorrow with Price, my optimism goes up pretty high. So you know, we'll we'll see. I guess. <laughs> I, I I just think we're catching them at at a really good time, and and for the most part, everything's clicking with us. And you know, the Yankees series after this one in New York is a, is a little concerning, but. I think we can uh, we can do a little bit of damage here. You know, last three games of the homestand. It's been real hard to kind of predict because, I mean, here we were coming out of the Baltimore series. We're all ready to sell, and, and they look like absolute dumpster fire. And, and they're losing teams they shouldn't be. And then all of a sudden they go on a tear against the Rays and the, the Yankees, and we're like, all right, they're back. 
but it's tough to predict what they're going to do. I can see all the bats going cold and then all of a sudden getting lit up. I, this team has been so wildly inconsistent. I, I want to believe that the, what we saw over the last two series is, you know, that it, it's more like what we saw in 2018 and they're putting it together. But as much as I think that, you know, you see some of the ugly play tonight and it's like, man, I just, I'm a little deflated just on that because it seems like. Uh, Going into the series, you can't have that ugly play this late in the, the year when everything's a must-win. Can't be throwing the balls into the dugouts and just missing plays. And I don't know. It's tough. I'd, I'd like to say that that I'm confident that this will continue, but I, I'd be lying if I said that. Uh, Jeremy, any uh, any final thoughts? Terry, I. I want to believe and hope that your comment that they're just the teams are trending in certain directions makes sense as far as the double race struggling and the Red Sox trending, you know, as far as beating the Rays, beating the Yankees. I just, and we don't even know the matchups, right? But I don't like the David Price start. And then I just, I, I just feel like a Porcello Cashner split is what's going to happen. So, I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I mean, look, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. I watch a lot of it. Obviously, I'm on this podcast. I want them to win. I try to be as realistic as possible. I try to avoid uh, blind homerism, and um, I just feel like that's the way this is going to go. And But I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope I'm wrong. I hope uh, Price can can bounce back, and then the same – and if he does, then the same split means you win two out of three. And I'm okay with that, obviously. So, um, you know, my mind is telling me one thing. My heart is hoping for another thing. And I hope you're right that uh, that the teams are trending in directions that favor the Red Sox. Yeah, and I, I think where we've seen Morton recently, you know, just, you know, five starts ago or whatever, five games ago, I, I think that will, uh, will play into us a little bit better. We hit Chirinos uh, much better. Uh, the second time around, I'm just looking, and we have tagged. Uh, let's see, last April 20th, uh, we put up uh, five runs against Morton uh, previously. So it can be done. You know, we just don't need Price to suck. And if worse comes to worse, and he does, though, I hope they boo the absolute shit out of him. And uh, you know, to the point where he has to have another press conference. I wonder who the announcers are, actually, if it's going to be Eckersley or Remy. I'm assuming Remy, but who knows. But anyway, uh, Yankees, I just checked, they have a weird, they have tomorrow off, and then they have two games against the Diamondbacks, who they are probably catching at the right time. So, um, So tomorrow it's just all about us. You know, we can only gain a half a game, but um, but uh, we'll take it. Oh, and actually, the Yankees have Grinky, though, so that'll be interesting. That's a 1 p.m. game on uh, Wednesday. But, all right, good show, guys, and uh, we'll be back on uh, Wednesday. I agree. Matt and I were awesome. Terry, you got some things to worry about. I'll send you uh, a text. Uh, but otherwise, we'll, <laughs> we'll see everyone uh, Thursday night. I can't help myself. Sorry. That's fine. Have a good one, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll hit a grand slam off you on Wednesday, Jeremy.
Yeah, sure you won't. Bye. (laughs) Take care. A little bit of banter to end the show. Three out of four against the Yankees in the Red Sox will be buyers, uh, you know, towards uh, 4.30 on, uh, or excuse me, 4 p.m. on Wednesday, which is one of my favorite days of the year, by the way. That is just so exciting. I don't know how many times I refresh my uh, Twitter feed, MLB trade rumors. It's the most exciting day of the year, so... Stuff might happen, you know, before then, tomorrow, Tuesday. So um, all of us will be active on Twitter. And uh, hopefully the Red Sox uh, make a a sneaky good move. What if they get Robbie Ray? What if they go starting pitcher again? Doesn't make sense, but what has so far in 2019? So... We will see what happens, and like I said, be back with you on Wednesday. Have a good start to your work week. Take care. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Playing at a line drive, left field, Ben and Teddy coming on, dives, and then he makes the catch. He did. He got it. Here we go. Time to party. Right here. 3-2. Championship. Welcome to Benny and the Bets Podcast. Can you believe it? Here-